Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Elizabeth Edwards. Elizabeth is a graduate of Purdue University and a registered dietitian. She has worked in the food service industry for 17 years, holding many different positions, including grocery store stalker, restaurant line cook, server, hospital food prep and cook, and now she's been the K-12 Director of Food Service for the past seven years. Elizabeth believes establishing healthy habits at a young age is vitally important to lay the foundation of health that kids will take with them into adulthood. Her areas of focus are transforming school menus to include more locally grown foods, working in more scratch-made dishes, and moving towards a more sustainable cafeteria by reducing single-use plastics and foam. In the episode, Elizabeth shares the current landscape of school nutrition, challenges she faces as a district menu planner, projects she's currently working on that excite her, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I order on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I end up saving at least $20 per order, And I'm able to fill my grocery cart from the comfort of my couch via their website or app. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. One more thing, if you've been dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so happy you're hearing this right now. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, drinking meal replacement shakes, or other unsustainable extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that are one-size-fits-all and only provide short-term results, I help you make evidence-based, effortless habit changes so that you can drop those pesky pounds for good, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. Learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com, and please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, it's time to hear from Elizabeth. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, 
have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hi, Brooke. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for our chat today. Same. For listeners, we are recording the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So (laughs) both of us about to end our work week here soon and enjoy some time off. So it's that kind of we were saying off air, it's that weird time when you're kind of hanging in the balance of you have some stuff to do, but you're so close yet so far away. (laughs) I would love to know if you could start, could you tell us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a dietitian and eventually to focus on improving school food? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out in college. I didn't have a major decided on. So I was one of those like general studies type people where I was trying to figure it out. And I had actually a tennis scholarship at a a smaller local college and ended up with a a dislocated kneecap. And so that sort of foiled my plans and kind of got me rethinking about what I might want to do. And around that time, um, I was looking at changing my major. And because of my knee injury, for the first time in my life, I was not able to be active like I was used to. And so I started... um, gaining a little bit of weight. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this is sort of interesting. You know, I kind of like, I had not ever thought about food really Mm. before that. So this is kind of where I started like first thinking, hey, maybe, you know, eating, you know, not junk food all the time is kind of important. So especially when I can't be active and do my sports. So that's what first kind of got my wheels turning is when I was kind of laid up on an injury. Uh, And so I ended up changing my major and moving to Purdue to study dietetics. And that's kind of what got me interested in wanting to become a dietitian. Interesting. Are there not a lot of dietetics programs at a bunch of schools? Is it kind of you have to find a university that has one? There are. I don't think it's super, you know, super hard to find. I think there's several here in Indiana um, that offer the the major. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of here and there, but it's not... Um, you know, it's not really difficult to find that major, I don't think. Oh, got it. Okay. And then, yeah. So then when did you start working specifically with school food? So that actually wasn't until I was finished with the program and went into my internship. So the way dietetics works is you basically finish your college degree and graduate, and then you have to go apply for um, an internship, sort of a postgraduate internship. Um, and so that is really my first experience in school food service. And so part of the internship, you do rotations in you know, community food service and work with dietitians working in the community and you do rotations, um, heavily focused in clinical. So I was in a lot of hospitals doing a lot of work in that environment and then some school food service rotations as well. And that was actually my first, I think that was my first, yeah, I can't think of what would have been before that experience in school food service. And it's kind of fun because I wasn't loving it. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by that? I just didn't really like what I saw. So I wasn't impressed. I thought, oh my gosh, this food, I just don't know about this. And at that point in time, I was really, really focused on wanting to be clinical. I wanted to be a clinical dietitian and work in a hospital. So yeah, my rotation in school food service, I just thought, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, like how... 
kind of like, how can dietitians do this? So, mm. which is funny because, you know, fast forward, here I am loving this profession. So that was mm. my first experience. And that's how, uh, how kind of I, I got the ball rolling to, to be here. I guess my next question would be, what is the current landscape of school food? I haven't, I taught for 12 years, um, but I was in private schools and I know that it didn't look great <laughs> when I was in working in this high school. Uh, but then my previous experience with school food was really just when I was a student myself. So in the nineties and early two thousands, what is going on these days? So you remember that square pizza then, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I sure do. Is that still there? <laughs> it's still, we still have square pizza, yeah, or rectangle pizza rather, not square pizza. That's one of the things people seem to remember. It's rectangle pizza, corn, and chocolate milk. So hmm. I always think that's funny because that's kind of, that's what I remember too. So it's funny, but right now, well, right, right now, um, <laughs> It's kind of, we're all in kind of survival mode with COVID and what that has done to schools and has done to food service. And um, the there's a labor shortage. I think a lot of schools are experiencing, maybe not all, but a lot of schools, I think, are, are going through a really severe labor shortage, uh, my district included. And on top of that, there is a food shortage and even things like containers, we can't get cups or bowls or forks, spoons, like anything we need to serve. It's It's been really crazy. So I think we're currently, like, we're all just trying to kind of get through this period of time and get back to where we don't have to worry about what we're going to serve, mm. <laughs> what we're going to serve it on. So right now it's pretty dire. Right now it is. In general, I would say I think we're moving in the right direction in general, um, but slowly. I think it also kind of varies on the school. I think some schools are doing a lot, you know, being really proactive and making a lot of changes. And then other schools, you know, it's been the same stuff for the past however many years and they are, you know, are not serving very good quality stuff. So it really kind of depends on the school as well. When you say not as good quality stuff, does that mean essentially what I remember when I was in elementary school of just like you said, the rectangle pizza with the corn, or is it, is it pretty much the same or is it different now in some ways? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on too where, where the food is being sourced from. Um, and then I know of several schools firsthand that are serving little to no fresh produce at all. So I think that's been an area that many, many schools have improved a ton uh, um, we've really improved a lot in that area over the past um, several years is um, getting fresh produce. And I don't think I can remember really getting fresh produce and I have to sit and think about that. Um, I think mm. it really used to, you know, it's the mandarin oranges, it's the canned peaches and the, the canned pears and the mixed fruit and all that type of thing. So um, fresh fruit and fresh vegetables have definitely kind of taken um, much more of the forefront. So that's definitely a very positive thing. Hmm. That's cool. What is the biggest impediment to getting fresh produce into schools? Is it cost or is it like you mentioned sourcing? What what's keeping schools from doing that? I would say probably cost and also the, the labor it might take to prepare it. So mm. you to open up a can, you know, strain the fruit and you know serve it out in a cup or whatever. But procuring. I, I would say hopefully everybody has pretty good access now to actually getting fresh fruit and vegetables. And it would just be 
they're more expensive, unfortunately. So definitely that. And then the labor or the additional time it would take to, you know, peel them or cut them or slice them or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Does, uh, kids choices in foods determine it at all? For example, if kids, I know at my school, if I would get the rectangle pizza, we'll go back to that and the corn, mm-hmm. everybody would, the corn would be in the trash at the end. So is it dependent also on what kids actually eat determines what they serve? Somewhat. So the menu planner can, can kind of, and should definitely take those type of things into consideration. I mean, we also have requirements that we have to, you know, serve, I think mostly for vegetables, there's no requirement for fruit, but we have to serve a red orange vegetable every week, a dark green vegetable every week, a starchy vegetable, a bean, and something that falls into the other category every single week in our menu planning. So that dictates a little bit what's going to be on the menu, but for fruits, there is no, you know, it's just the serving size we have to meet. Um, So definitely, hopefully the menu planners are everywhere are taking into consideration what the kids like and don't like. Um, And I know for me, I also want to include variety for them. And even if it's something they don't maybe necessarily love, I'm still going to put it out there, you know, occasionally or put it in a mixed fruit blend because I think it's important that they get exposure to that item. Um, So we know that it takes kids multiple, multiple exposures to a new food item before they might even be willing to take a bite and try it. So I think that's that's part of the balance, part of my thought process in, in going through menuing fruits and veggies. So you are the actual menu planner then? I am in my district, yes. Oh, cool. So does every district have a menu planner that's a dietitian like yourself? Every district does not have a dietitian. There would be someone who does the menu planning, whether that be a cafeteria manager or a dietitian. I think the bigger districts tend to have um, more of the dietitians and people on staff that take care of that. Whereas smaller districts might just have a cafeteria manager that does all of that. And when you listed out the red, the green, the starchy, all of the things that you have to put on the plate per week, is that a national guideline or is that just a state guideline or a city guideline? How does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's part of the federal USDA guidelines for Um, for school meals. So if we're going to be part of the National School Lunch Program, which most schools in the U.S., I believe, are part of that program, then that is one of the um, rules, so to speak, menu planning we have to follow. Um, And Mm. the state agency would be the one that enforces um, what the USDA sets as the rule for school meals. Got it. Do you feel as if it's pretty promising, all of the national guidelines? And like you said, there's some shifts happening. Is it's slow, but is it on a good trajection? I think it's on a good trajection. It's it's slow. I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to answer that because I just, I feel like there's a, a focus on the wrong things sometimes. And I know personally, I spend so much of my time on administrative things. I wish that burden were lifted a little more so I could spend more of my time you know, menu planning and trying to, you know, come up with new ideas about how we can get the kids more interested in the fruit and vegetables or food in general um, and trying new things. Pickiness is a big problem. Um, So Mm. I feel like sometimes, and maybe that's just kind of the role of the director, but if it doesn't come from the director, I don't think it's going to come from anybody else because kitchen staff are so busy doing their, doing their thing in the kitchen. So I feel like I would really like that to be part of my role, but 
Right. <laughs> There's just so much paper I'm, I'm pushing requirements I have to, to meet that I feel like that's definitely an area that needs to be improved. And that would be something policy-wise that would need to be improved. When you mentioned pickiness, I know exposure has a lot to do with that. I follow, I don't have kids yet, but I follow a lot of the um, kind of food social media for kids and toddlers. And it seems like a lot getting them to kind of, again, the exposure, putting things on toothpicks, cutting it into funny shapes or different things. So how does that work in a school? Are there people actually kind of boots on the ground type of situation, standing there encouraging kids to try things? Or is it really just up to the kids themselves to try it on their own at their lunch table? That's probably one of my favorite topics, talking points and topics right now is this this one about kind of whose role is it? And what are the different roles we all have in, in getting kids to eat healthy? So um, there are no people <laughs> boots on the boots on the ground standing there and trying to encourage the kids to eat food. Definitely, there's nobody doing that. I wish there was. That would have to be, I think, in my opinion, someone's actual job. And you know, nobody's gonna <laughs> nobody's gonna have to hire that, be able to hire that in school. So everybody in schools is just so busy and already I feel like overworked and overtasked with their own job that that's just something that doesn't happen, but it's something that I think needs to happen. So one of my goals that's been for the past few years working here in schools has been to get kids more involved and to have someone be that person that's like, Hey, like I see you've got, you know, Brussels sprouts on your tray today or some Brussels sprouts I put on my menu sometimes. And that's something that kids definitely need encouragement to try. And you know, some modeling of adults eating them and whatnot. So a couple of the schools I have do a really great job of, of doing that. I think it comes from the principal level where hmm. we'll do, yeah. So, I mean, that's an area that needs to be improved for sure. And it's just a hard one to tackle. But like you yeah. said, like when you have kids, I mean, that's really where it starts. And I think that's part of why this problem is just so difficult to solve is that it really starts from when these kids are babies and, and what the parents are feeding and what you're introducing. And it's hard. It's hard as a parent to, you know, kids are going to be picky and to keep a variety on their plate and to always be encouraging, you know, to try different things. And I've got three small kids myself. And so I've seen this firsthand. It's been really interesting to kind of see how I've worked that in with my three and then to take that into the school environment and see how, how that changes and how the kids that, I can kind of pick them out maybe the ones that maybe didn't grow up that way. Mm. So I don't know the answer to that. It's a great topic. And I think, yeah, we, we as a society should be talking about that. The schools that are doing well, you said it maybe comes from the principal. So what kind of initiatives, is it kind of the type of thing I was thinking of when you read a book, maybe you get on a certain chart or stars. I mean, are they doing any type of incentivizing for eating fruits and vegetables or how do, how are those schools working? No, there's nothing formal like that. I think it's just mostly they see when it comes up on the menu and it, you know, if they have time in their day, they pop down and make an announcement or something or a teacher, hmm. you know, sometimes we, you've got teachers that are like really into that and are, you know, are super health oriented and health conscious and want to encourage their kids to try. So they'll say something, they'll get on the, you know, the mic at lunch and say something like, all right, kids, like we're all going to taste a Brussels sprout together. Like let's, and just kind of make it fun. So um, we don't have anything sort of, you know, formal by any means. It's just kind of, you know, 
people that care and are invested and, and see the need and pitching in where they're able to. So that's cool though. You're mentioning Brussels sprouts. So is yeah. that something that kids are at least getting exposed to now? Cause I, I don't think I saw a single Brussels sprout in my school cafeteria. Yeah, I definitely don't think I saw a Brussels sprout. They're getting exposed to it. Yes. Now, I mean, I will say it's definitely not a popular item. I mean, some kids are liking them. I don't know. So that's as a menu planner, that's kind of where I have to balance how much, you know, do you, how much exposure do you put out there while also understanding that, you know, you're going to have food waste from this. And it's, it's, that's one of the most challenging parts of my job is you want the kids to get exposure to that vegetable and present it in a way that's going to make them want to eat it. But also how do you, you know, do you take your dietitian hat off and put your food service director hat on and think, oh my gosh, this is just kind of wasted money. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's not easy. How do you go about, I don't know what word to use, maybe kind of healthifying some of the classics. Is it now maybe instead of white bread all the time, using bread made with whole grains or using actual whole grains like rice? What, what ways are the menus being healthified in other aspects besides just the fruit and vegetables? Yeah. So I think pretty much everything we can find in whole grain now. So over the past few years, the, um, the manufacturers have really had to reformulate things to make it be whole grain or at least 51% um, mm. the, the requirement. So that one is pretty easy to find. So that's been a good, a good switch. Um, and other than that, I think in my opinion, I would just say it's picking well, I was going to say sodium too. Sodium has been kind of at the focal point over the past few years. And I don't know how I feel about that either. There's, it's kind of, I have opposing, you know, viewpoints a little bit on that. So we all know that if you take the sodium out of food, it tastes horrible. So <laughs> there's, right. there's some of that that we're dealing with with certain products. So um, I think in general, the solution to it though, is to find what you can cook from scratch as much as possible. So, you know, in my previous district, I, we cooked a lot of ground beef, a lot of raw ground beef, and we would, you know, throw a big 40 pound thing of ground beef in. That would be what we seasoned it up, you know, from scratch. So it's not this product that we're getting in that already has all the sodium in it. So that's, that's something that can help, but obviously that's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to try and move to scratch cooking. So I'm not sure how super feasible of an option that is for a lot of schools, at least out of the gate, although it's a very good goal. Yeah. It, it was the, was it Jamie Oliver who did that whole push to? Yes, it was. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's such a nice ideal, right? Of It is. <laughs> having these chefs. He was also in Europe, am I right? Or did he come to the United States as well? Or did he stay mostly in France? And... I don't know if he ever came to the U.S. I, yeah. A couple of years ago, I've kind of, yeah, I'll have to revisit that and see. But yeah, I loved his initiative. Uh, yeah, it seems just... very cool. And I think it was kind of one of the first times it was popularized and people actually talking about how can we make things from scratch in school kitchens, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a novel idea. And it sounds like maybe it's, you know, like you're doing your best efforts to make that happen as much as possible, but there's so many other factors that go into that, like the labor you said, or the cost, um, it did seem like a very nice idea though. I remember one (laughs) scene of these French kids eating this beautiful spread of food. But again, I mean, that's, I guess it's good to have something to aim towards and have a goal. 
but there's, I'm sure so many different things that you struggle with to make that happen as most of which you've mentioned already. Yeah. It's a great goal. I think that's, that's definitely the, you know, up on a pedestal, that's the ideal. That would be absolutely what I can't say we all, but for me, certainly, that's definitely what I'm striving for to get as close as possible to that. But there are, I don't know how things are set up in Europe from a food service, school food service perspective, but um, the framework of school food service here in the United States, I feel like there are some barriers that just is going to make that more challenging. Mm. Not impossible, but more challenging. Right. What percentage of kids in the United States eat school food pretty much exclusively through their day? So I'm thinking breakfast, lunch, maybe a snack, and then dinner is possibly at home. But do you do you know that percentage of kids that rely on school food? I don't remember that figure. I feel like I just read that recently too. It's high. I mean, there's a there's. I think feel like it's for sure the majority. It's over fifty. Wow. Yeah, I think of kids that rely on meals that they're getting for school from school as the majority of their calories for the day. Is that what you plan? Do you plan breakfast, lunch, and snack? In my district, yes. In my previous district, I did breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We served an after-school meal as well. Um, Oh, wow. And so, yep, I've got some experience doing that. And here we do breakfast, lunch, and an after-school snack. Oh, wow. So when you're planning, how does how does that happen? Does it happen by the month or by the week? And kind of what goes into your thinking process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we I think most everybody operates off what we call cycle menus. And it's, it's just kind of the only way that we can. I don't know how you'd really do it. Otherwise, I actually tried doing month to month menus at one point in time, and it was just way too much work to try and do. So three to four week cycle menus are pretty much the norm, I think, for what we're doing as menu planners. And so that just means every three to four weeks, you know, it, it repeats or whatever. So, um, so I kind of work off that and then I do it seasonally as well. So I'm about to change the menu seasonally here for the next semester. So kind of working in those, um, you know, seasonal produce items um, and seasonal dishes like tomato soup and grilled cheese for the fall. And then um, we'll probably do some chili or tortilla soup or something like that. Um, you know, for the colder winter winter months and focusing on some of the produce that's in stock or in season rather now and um, less berries. We don't order many of those over the winter. So obviously they're way more expensive. And so things like that, those are things that I think about when I'm menu planning. Wow. It's so incredible. Everything that goes into it that I never really gave a lot of thought to, um, obviously, as I'm <laughs> a fourth <laughs> grader picking up my mac and cheese or whatever it was. Uh, do you make the recipes as well? Or do you outsource that? I mean, how do you know what to tell people to do to make the food taste good? Yeah, so I do make the recipes for every single item we have, there's a recipe for it. And so we've got to one of the um, another one of the requirements we have to do is make sure that um, we're meeting the amount of grain and protein components every single day, which is two ounces. Um, every single meal rather, not every single day. So I've got to make sure if I'm making a menu item that the, you know, per kid, they're getting that two ounces of grain and two ounces of meat. So that's a really important part. And then um, you've got to take the recipe to your school and put it in practice and make sure that when they use the recipe, that it yields what it says it does, and then go back and, and edit the recipe if need be until you get it right. Wow. What's happening in terms of, you mentioned 
the forks, the plastics. I know that's another area you focus on. Is there kind of a sustainability push? There is, I think maybe less so as a whole. I'm not sure how how into the sustainability movement like a lot of the United States is from a food service perspective. Um, but it's definitely picking up as well. So hopefully that'll continue to catch on. That's been something that's been kind of at the focal point of my interest as well over the past few years. And so I've, you know, I've and now in my new district, it's kind of with COVID, <laughs> everything is kind of out the window right now as we're just trying to survive kind of from a labor shortage and food shortage point of view. But that's an area that where a lot of improvement can be made. I mean, just the amount of waste from foam containers or foam trays or foam bowls or plastic forks and spoons on a daily basis in every school across America. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Into the land. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What, what can listeners, what can I do? I mean, if somebody has a real passion in this and improving school food, what's the best way to enact change and get involved? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's kind of a hard one too, because I feel like a lot of it is going to depend on your, you know, who the school nutrition professional is in your school or in your area and kind of what their capacity is to how receptive are they and how able are they to kind of take on those, I would call them right now, almost unfortunately, additional, you know, additional type of things. Like, I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know what they can do. Um, start the conversation, express their, um, you know, their desire for um, more sustainable efforts or, or what have you, and just kind of ask, you know, what the roadblocks are, how they can help. Um, those are good starting points. Yeah. You know, listening to parents who want that is, you know, I've, I've actually, I don't think I've ever heard from a parent who said that's what they, you know, hey, well, these are the things that I'm really interested in, you know, from your food service department. So, yeah, definitely voicing opinions for that type of support would be really important. What current work of yours are you most excited about right now? Right now, I'm excited about getting through this COVID mess. Mm. And I'm excited about working with my ag department. So here we have a really incredible ag department, and we are putting some plans together for um, a lot of locally grown food. And by locally, I mean like uber locally, like right here at the at our high school. So growing it right out in the back garden here at the high school and then coming in and serving that in the line in the cafeteria. So we're putting together some really cool plans for working together um, to do that. I am excited about just ever creating more scratch from scratch dishes and working more from scratch dishes into our menus and the sustainability piece that we kind of just touched on. That's a huge one. So that's, that's a big challenge and that's a hard one. That's not really easy to solve either because it, you know, if you're not doing throwaway stuff, then you're going to have to be washing a whole lot. And that just opens up a whole other, you know, Uh. door of conversation about your, you know, dishwashing equipment and then do you have the labor to do that and so um so figuring out that piece of the puzzle and then there was one thing oh the nutrition education piece we kind of talked about earlier as well so finding mm-hmm. a magical person who can be sort of a nutrition educator or cheerleader for the kids I feel like that's a big part that's missing in I guess I would say in schools in general it's just kind of kids getting their hands dirty in in food whether that be like cooking in the kitchen or prepping stuff or you know seeing how food grows 
And a lot of schools are doing that now. School gardens have really exploded over the past few years, which is has been awesome to see. So that is that's a really, really great start. How do any schools still have a home ec class? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know of any that do. Right? I was just thinking as you were saying that, that we used to, and I remember taking it at one point, and I don't remember if it was required or not. I don't think a lot of nutrition fundamentals were taught, but mm-hmm. still you were at least in a small kitchen cooking stuff and like you said, getting your hands dirty. Yeah. So I think that kind of went a long way, maybe when we didn't even realize it. For sure. Yeah. I, I, my high school had an, a home ec class and I did not take it, but I don't know yeah. exactly what was done away with, but I think, yeah, I mean, you could just kind of roll it into like a life skills class basically at this point. I feel like right. the life skills elective where they just go in and learn things like, you know, how to cook scrambled eggs, and like basic stuff and how to tie a tie. I mean, I feel like in our schools, I've seen a lot that where, you know, kids don't know how to do like really basic stuff and, you know, food skills and basic things like that. Right. No, I think that mm-hmm. is such a good point. Um, we used to have at the high school I taught at, there was a, it was called prep day. The school was St. Peter's prep. Um, so it's called prep day. And as teachers, you would choose to share some type of enrichment thing. So you could say, I'm going to offer a trip to the Empire State Building or something. We were in New York City, New Jersey area. Um, and then kids would sign up for that. And so one teacher always did kind of a life skills course and they would talk about I don't know if people really balance a checkbook anymore but <laughs> at least saving money or what to do if you get a flat tire or kind of the things you're talking about yeah. and we would do these senior exit interviews then at the end of the year and I can't tell you how many seniors would tell me that was one of the best that mm-hmm. one day it was probably five hours long that was one of the best experiences they had in all of high school yeah. which just goes to show i mean of course we learn things from our parents but maybe you know just sitting down and having somebody else outside of your family mm-hmm. go through some of these basics and especially with food i mean we all eat all day every day yeah. and i don't know how you feel about the impact of cooking, I would imagine you find it pretty important just to learn, like you said, the basics and how you can sustain, even as an adult, a healthier eating pattern if you make and know how to make food for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely of vital importance. So that would be really, really great if high schools or colleges even would include that. Right. I, mean, we've I think it, yeah, like go ahead. College kids, you know, that uh, they can't cook anything. Like, Mm. boil a pot of water. It's like, okay. Right. <laughs> I know it's kind of a funny thing, right? That people will say of, oh, I don't know how to cook. And I used to say it myself. I honestly didn't feel very confident in the kitchen, but I recently just started, um, I have a TikTok that is, you know, a whole world of its own and I'm experimenting <laughs> with that, but I just started these videos, um, called cook with Brooke, where I'm literally showing you the things I make in 10, 15 minutes that are so simple. And I think I hear from clients all the time of, oh, I don't have enough time to make Mm -hmm. a meal or there's this barrier to entry, I think, in terms of 
cooking or what people think it takes or how much time it takes. And really, you mentioned salt or basic seasonings, basic ingredients. I mean, you can whip something up in a very short time and have a nutritious meal on the table. Like it doesn't have to be a involved recipe on a Tuesday night. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. I think, I think when people think of like, oh, like cooking from scratch or cooking at home, they do think like you said about those involved recipes and yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be like, even like cooking sloppy joes from scratch is like soup, like that comes together super fast and how to make a quesadilla. And so, yeah, if we started teaching, you know, how to roast vegetables, like here's, this is literally all you have to do. And then here's all the different seasonings and what a difference that makes. And that's really all it takes. Right. When you say from scratch, you said that a couple of times and that term used to kind of even make me kind of cringe because I when sometimes I think when you hear from scratch, it's make yogurt from scratch or even that's not super complicated or I don't know, Martha Stewart would always be making like sprinkles from scratch, right? There's crazy more involved things that you can make from scratch, but it can literally just mean throwing Brussels sprouts on a sheet pan and roasting them. And that's from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Do you have a lot of partnerships with other dietitians in the country? Are you guys kind of your own web and is that kind of a cool thing that's happening? Um, yeah. So my social media on my Instagram, I've been kind of sharing my journey over the past however many years I've been doing this seven, I think, um, of working as a dietitian in, you know, the, the school nutrition landscape. And so I've just kind of been sharing. And so I've really um, been able to connect with a lot of other like-minded professionals and it's been really, really cool. So we can, we can share what we're doing, bounce ideas off each other, kind of commiserate and, you know, what, what's going on right now with, you know, just all the challenges we're facing currently. And so, yes, I've connected with a lot of really, really cool people across the country and I'm really excited to expand on that more um, in the future too. What was your COVID kind of contingency plan? It probably even just makes you, like, you probably don't even want to go back and revisit it, right? Yeah. I'm sure it was so tough. What were you, were you just offering meals out of the school for pickup or? We did. So yeah, we, we switched to a model where, and this was a huge challenge because the, in my previous district, we had like these itty bitty little kitchens and we didn't have big walk-in uh, fridge or freezer spaces. So we couldn't, you know, store or prep anything in advance. So we ended up doing prepping bulk meals and sending five home with a family at a time mm. for like for the week. So that's what we ended up doing for, oh, I don't even remember how many months. It's, it's all it's all a blur at this point. But we did that for quite a few months when we were shut down to make sure our families still had access to um, nutritious food. Wow. Well, really appreciate all of the work you're doing. It sounds like a lot, but also like you said, a lot of things that are very promising that are happening in the school food space. But Mm -hmm. kudos to you for tackling this really ginormous issue. Um, I'm sure you see all of the red tape and bureaucracy and all of these things firsthand. And it can, I'm sure, be pretty demoralizing at times. Yes. And sometimes it is, yeah, makes me want to pull my hair out a little bit some days. Overwhelming. But then maybe you see or hear a story of a kid trying Brussels sprouts and liking them for the first time. And maybe that's some hope in it all. Yeah. I think that's part of the feedback is some of my favorite you know, parts of this job is when I'm able to leave this office and, you know, go out and visit my staff on site, which I try to do pretty frequently and, and actually get out into the lunchroom and kind of talk to the kids. And, you know, every once in a while, someone will actually send me something too. And so I've gotten, I think it was 
both of them recently were about broccoli as a roasted broccoli, not mm. roasted sprouts, but they were sharing a story that their kid came home and said, mom, like, you'll never believe what I ate today at lunch. And mom was like, what did you eat? And she was like, I tried the roasted broccoli and I really liked it. And I want you to make it too at home. And I was like, oh, that right there, cup filled. It's <laughs> just something little like that. Like, okay, so that kid, like that kid tried the broccoli, liked it. And now like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, teaching, school administration, your job, it, they can all be so thankless at times, especially because <laughs> kids aren't always, you know, after a lesson I would teach, they're not running up and saying, thank you so much. I learned so much. That was great. You know, you usually don't hear those little snippets, but I would always find that when I was hitting a breaking point, that's when at one kid could, would just come up and say something and it would just give me the rejuvenation I needed to keep going. So <laughs> Glad you're getting that feedback every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another, yeah. The, my Instagram page has been another really good source of that too, is I kind of, I'm, you know, I like to be pretty candid about what's, you know, going on, like the real things and the real struggles and challenges we're facing in this industry. And um, so that's been help. That's been really helpful too, is to kind of get support from, you know, people across the nation who get it and who are going through it too, and are supportive of the efforts to get healthier food and more sustainable practices into schools. Right. And that's such a cool piece of social media. That alone can be its own beast, right? And have its challenges. But when it does bring us together and when you end up meeting people like we connected on Instagram um, that you never would have met otherwise, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. I think Insta has been, that's where you'll find me. You'll find me on Instagram. I don't know. Not not so much the other channels, but um, yeah, Instagram is really positive for, for that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I would say keep social media to a minimum. It's <laughs> again, it can be yeah a, a lot. I prefer Instagram as well, so that's usually where I hang out. But uh, I always ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Hmm, that's a good question. I would say making the health investment is realizing the importance and then dedicating the time to your own health and making the effort for your own health. So, mm. And then also understanding when you make that health investment in yourself, that you can change lives around you with your positive example. I feel like that's mm. something a lot of people forget as people are really are watching, not in like a pressure way, but you know, you you're out just drinking from your water bottle instead of, you know, soda or whatever. And maybe that's making a positive impact on someone else too. So. Yeah. I love that idea of action speak louder than words often. And it's a cool idea to think about how just the simplest things could be an example. Nobody's ever said that before. I like that. I like that response. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your Instagram, so I will link up your social media in the show notes, but can you just share what your Instagram account is and anywhere else that people could follow and find you? Yeah, it is the school nutrition dietitian. So has a nice little ring to it. Um, so that's where I'm at on Instagram. And then I'm working on launching a, a website. I've been working on it for quite a, quite a long time now. So this past year has been crazy, but that will be at um, com. So soon that will be up and that will be a really good hub for people to kind of go to. I'm going to have a lot of resources and I'm going to have a blog there where I kind of share, you know, my expanded thoughts that, that I do on Instagram and um, so if people are wanting information, like to kind of go way back to your question about 
you know, how are you know, do people get involved and, and help schools or what kind of whatever your question was about that? Hopefully, um, my goal is to kind of have my website be just kind of a, a hub for that where they can find more information. And of course, I'm always happy to chat with anybody who wants to talk over um, anything or have questions about what they can do as well. Awesome. Well, so grateful to have you on talking about this super important topic today. And I look forward to learning more from you on your Instagram and future website. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was was always great to chat about this topic. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.